Do you want like a let me like preface it or anything? Does it need a preface? Cer <laughs> certainly not. Do you, do you not. have to introduce it? No, uh, this is just simply the only joke I've ever told my entire life. Um, and the first time I told it, I would have been probably like five. Okay. Okay. So where does the general keep his armies? Where? In his sleeveys. <laughs> get get it? I get it. I'm sorry to tell you that I've heard it before. No. Well, I didn't write it. I was five. <laughs> Hello! Welcome to The Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert. Uh, I am really excited about my guest for this episode uh, because I talked to Cobra Collins. Uh, she is a poet of significant height. That is her tagline. Uh, those are true things about her. Uh, other true things, she's a spoken word artist who has been twice shortlisted for Poet Laureate of Calgary, uh, which is pretty impressive. I haven't done that. Have you? No, didn't think so. Uh, she is also the co-host of the Expressions Open Mic once a month at Cafe Koi, and uh, also just one of my favorite humans in general. Uh, we had a really good conversation about not only poetry, but also what it means to be successful as a poet. Uh, we also discussed burritos and baconators. Uh, just before we get there, a quick reminder, you can visit thecalgarian.ca for more information about the show social media links so you can spread the word and tell everyone in your life about this cool new podcast that you're really enjoying and also a link to the patreon account for the show just in case you would like to show your support uh, in the monetary sense uh, if you are enjoying these episodes and this project uh, and would like to see it continue your support in whatever form you would like to offer it is very much necessary and appreciated uh, so here is my conversation with Cobra Collins. Denny's, are you listening? Denny's! <laughs> Free food! I'll write you poems about eggs. Uh, okay, I think uh, to start with, we should probably get something out of the way, which is um, this, this thing that I'm wearing. Um, can you describe for the uh, listener what, what this shirt is that I'm wearing? Um, well, first of all, it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a uh, picture of, of a face, um, a face that I, I happen to actually know quite well. I see it mm -hmm. almost every single day in the mirror. Almost? Um, well, some days I'm really rushed <laughs> and I don't have time to check the mirror. Some days it's a different yeah, face. And those are days when I wear sweaters inside out to work. Um, yeah, it looks a fair bit like me, uh, screaming at the top of my lungs. In fact, I would guess it probably is me screaming at the top of my lungs. I think it is you because <laughs> I, I bought this shirt from you. Oh, yeah, that happened too. And uh, these these are your shirts that you're selling mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, with mm -hmm. a picture. It's just a white t-shirt with a black like uh, screen, silk screen print of, yep. of your screaming face. Yeah, and I printed them myself. Yeah, yeah. DIY. Yep. Got to hustle. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I, I, I've done plenty of interviews in my journalism career, but I don't think I've ever interviewed somebody while wearing a shirt with a, with a picture of their face on it. So this is... First time! Brave new world for me. Uh, also, how many poets have shirts with pictures of their face on them? Is this a... It's not a thing. Yeah. Um, it's not a thing. All of my merch You is... must be kind of a big deal. I'm not. I'm vain. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, uh, I think about that a lot. And I think, like, I don't know why, especially with spoken word, um, we do all of this hype and, like, all these competitions and, and we don't have merch. And I think, like, bands get to do it. Yeah. Like, so why not us? So there we go. And plus, then I get to wear a shirt with my own face on it, which makes me really, really happy. I'm so. kind of disappointed that we're not both wearing this shirt for this interview. <laughs> me too. Um, so you are a spoken word poet. Primarily, yeah. Uh, I, I would like if you could define spoken word poetry, uh, because I think a lot of people listening might not be familiar with it. They might just think it's just poetry you say out loud. Uh, and like, what is it and compare and contrast and how it relates to other forms of poetry? Okay. Uh, it kind of is just poetry that you say out loud, uh, by definition, for sure. Um, I think that um, there's within spoken word a lot of different kind of levels of that, too. Like slam is its whole different beast. Um, a lot of times spoken word will collaborate with musicians, and that's where you kind of have your jazz and your beat poetry type stuff coming in. Um, but I think mostly for myself, and again, I'm not an authority on on anything, um, but for myself, spoken word is just the idea of, of telling a story um, and using your voice and um, performance to get that across versus reading it on a page. Um, and then I think a lot of it, too, is, is your audience's um, interpretation of the work when being told a story versus reading something changes it. So how your work is remembered and um, appreciated is different than how it would be with, um, I think, traditional page poetry. Um, I think with a lot of spoken word, too, um, its roots definitely stemmed from almost a place of protest. Um, you had your chance, I mean, initially, like your like your Pinheiro and whatnot, um, like your Puerto Rican poets from New York initially, um, kind of taking to the streets and, and using performance and poetry um, very vocally to get people's attention and try to affect change. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you just, you got to yell for people to hear you. So that's my definition of spoken word is yelling at strangers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how, how did you get into poetry yourself? Like just personally, not specifically spoken word, just any, any poetry. What, what was it about it that uh, appealed to you? Hmm. Um, I've been writing for a very long time, um, like even as like a, like a small child, um, and poetry was always something that I was drawn to. Um, growing up, on my, I think it's my grandfather on my mother's side, or maybe it's my grandmother on my mother's side. Um, we had a poet generations and generations out from Ireland, um, whose name now is escaping me, but he wrote a poem about fairies. So it's up the airy mountains, down the rushing glen, we daren't go a hunting for fear of little men. Um, anyway, the whole poem is a book, and we were in a um, like liquidation world one time, and there was just like 20 of them stacked, and my grandma's like, that's your uncle, that's your uncle. So <laughs> she bought like 30 copies of this book, <laughs> um, and that was sort of this introduction to, uh, oh, there's a poet in the family, and uh, my grandmother also was a huge influence for me and was very much in, in the arts community um, here in town, more from a theater perspective. Um, and she always used to say whenever I'd write, oh, it's so nice to have a poet in the family. So I just kind of carried on, carried on with that for sure. So when you were young and, and just a kid and you started writing poetry, was it something that like you kept private to yourself and didn't tell anyone you were writing about it or writing poetry? Or did you share it with your family or friends? Or? I shared a lot of it with my family when I was quite young. Um, 
I mean, it was mostly poems about them and like my dog and and stuff like that. Um, my mom still has the first poem that I ever like really wrote, framed it on the mantelpiece of our house, which she uh, shows people. And I'm like, Mom, I've done like a lot of stuff since then. <laughs> like it's not it's not my my finest work, but. Uh, yeah, I think also because it's one of the few tangible pieces she has as a spoken word artist. Most of my stuff lives in kind of an impermanent place. So she's like, no, but she wrote this. Um, and it's a poem about, actually, it's a poem about a mom dying in a rocking chair. It's really sad. I don't know why she keeps it up on the mantelpiece. Oh. But uh, anyway, and then as I got older, then it got more personal. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a, hard-pressed to find a lot of people, but especially like a 12-year-old girl who doesn't fill up her journals with some sort of poetry one way or another and then just like hold it close and sleep with it under their pillow right or, well, I mean, it's... or maybe just me i think other people do that no but, I, yeah. think, I think that's that's yeah. yeah so then personal and then as i got older back to sharing it with with the world again so ebb and flow when did you start uh, getting interested in spoken word okay um i first started writing actually spoken word without a whole lot of reference point for um, what it was, I guess. Um, I mean, we, as I got older too, the accessibility for being able to kind of find different types of, of poetry, spoken word included in that with, with the internet, with YouTube, et cetera, was definitely helpful because all of a sudden there was like a world out there that I didn't really see here in town when I was younger for sure. Um, but as far as like really delving into it, probably like 2012, 2013, um, I was covering Spoken Word Festival, um, Calgary Spoken Word Festival, which was run by Sherry D. Wilson. And um, I was covering it for Beatroot Magazine here in town. And um, yeah, it was the basement at Winos and I hadn't really heard of, heard of Spoken Word like in, in Calgary before until that point. And when we were sitting in the meeting at Beatroot, um, they're like, oh, who wants to cover this festival? And I was like, oh my God, that exists here? Like, I will. I want to do that. And yeah, walking down the stairs of Wino, and all of a sudden it was just like all of these powerful people up on stage speaking speaking their poetry. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is what I've been been looking for. So it was just kind of full full steam ahead from then on, for sure. And how old were you then? That would have been... How old am I now? I assume that's rhetorical. No. <laughs> Kind of. Um, 20, 25, 24. I'm 32 okay. now. So whatever that math works out <laughs> works out to be, um, which is interesting because I definitely got into it um, at an older age. A lot of our community right now, which is it's great, is is quite young. Um, I mean, our our few spaces that we have, some of them are bars, so obviously they're 18. But our all ages spaces and stuff, we've got a lot of really young kids already writing really profound work um which is wonderful for myself i'm actually glad that i was a little bit older um why because i had a lot of time to work on my voice um and to figure out what i wanted to say it's sort of like when you again when you talk about a band and it takes them like seven years to write their first album and then it's always brilliant because they had that amount of time and then the follow-up is sometimes maybe not as great because there wasn't as much time. So anyway, I'm in my follow-up stage right now. <laughs> uh, did you grow up in Calgary? Uh, I did, yeah. Um, between here and Edmonton. So I'm from Grand Prairie originally. Like that's where I was born. Um, 
but again, I didn't live there at all. Um, yeah, being adopted, I was brought to Edmonton, and then uh, my folks were from Calgary. So, and then I moved to Edmonton in grade. I might have been in kindergarten and was there to about grade five, and then I've spent my whole adult life in Calgary. Mm. Yeah. Maybe this is a good spot to uh, play a clip from a uh, performance you just did at the monthly slam event on a couple days ago. Sounds good. I don't know what it would say, five foot eight female, not Caucasian, and I tell them her name is Crystal, and I ask them to be kind, and I know that I'm free to go, but I don't. I don't in case this situation somehow turns itself into old news. You know, the kind you read about at a later date in the paper, that's of course to assume that you're going to flip past the first few pages and I start to ask myself again, who waited here? I'm trying to save red, blue, red, blue, white. This is not that night. This is not that night that he asks from behind triage glass. Hey, can we give you a hand? And it's all just whoosh, automatic doors and it's all just click, clack, tile floor and it's all just fluorescent lights. I say, my sister's name is Quinn. She's five foot eight and not Caucasian. You found her in the snow and I don't know what ward to go to. I've got ten missed calls. Please just tell me what floor to go to. And he replies, visiting hours are over. But she's been trying to get a hold of you. Where have you been? Do you realize how lucky she is? Red, blue, red, blue, white. This is not that night. So obviously that that is a short clip that um, really does not do that piece justice. It's a much longer piece. That's just a, a small segment of it. Um, how I'm curious because you've worked both. You're you're both of spoken word poet. But you've also written just poetry for the page. Um, I'm curious about how you write poetry, um, okay. and especially like poetry that you're planning on um, performing. Like, because, um, you know, spoken word, there's obviously like a, a performative aspect for you. You're not just like, I don't think you're just writing stuff and then just getting up and reading it. Like there's, there seems to be some thought process that goes into. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about that a little bit. Um, when I first started doing spoken word, um, I initially was doing mostly slam poetry, um, which in itself is very formulaic. Um, Can you explain what slam is for people? Yeah, for sure. So slam is spoken word. Um, essentially, the, the big difference is there's a competitive aspect to it, which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, but, I mean, and the debate is, is ever ongoing about whether the, how productive it is to, to add a score or a winner uh, in art. But really, when it started, it was a way to get people into a space to listen because people like to yell, people like to score, people like to judge. So it, it created an audience. Um, right, it's, just, it's just poets getting up and reading poems and judges yeah. give them scores and there's rounds. Zero and... to ten and three rounds. And uh, we have huge festivals here in Canada as well. So like we've got the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word. That's Canada-wide. Um, provides a lot of really great opportunities for travel and exposure um, and whatnot as well. Then we have our individual poetry slam, which again is Canada-wide. Uh, and then we have a World Poetry Slam every year, which is in Paris, and we send one representative from Canada every year to that as well. Um, but it is kind of its own bubble for sure. Um, and when you're writing for Slam, it is, again, like I said, fairly formulaic. It's three minutes. Um, you can't go over or you lose points. Um, you're not, and there's no, there's no props, there's no music, there's no any of that. So it's very much using your body and your voice to tell a story. For me, I found it really helpful when I was first kind of starting out with spoken word because it gave you a, yeah, a platform to sort of follow. Um, and you could do a beginning, middle, and end. 
Um, the more you listen to it, though, uh, you do start to realize that a lot of it is the same formula. So it's like slow build, slow build, big build, big build, so loud, quiet, 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 loud again, done. Like it's a very set type of poetry. Uh, but I'm grateful for the experience of learning how to kind of do that and excel in that space because it taught me a lot of discipline. Um, when you only have three minutes to tell some pretty big stories, you learn how to self-edit really quickly. Um, you also learn how to take criticism very quickly as well because you're working with usually groups. People are judging you. Um, so you read it out loud and it's like, like, no, I don't understand that. Or no, like, what are you saying there? Or no, you need to enunciate. And um, it gave you, or for myself, um, doing that for a few years gave me a really good platform for sort of how to speak to um, a diverse audience. Because the thing with Slam 2 is a lot of the time it's people walking in from the streets. They don't know what's going on. They've never been to a poetry event before because it is a more accessible level, I think, of poetry. Um, so you have to be able to communicate to people that maybe necessarily have never have never been to a poetry event before, or don't know you from anybody else, and still want to try and connect. Um, writing for the page is... Yeah, I don't even really know if I really know how to do it. I mean, <laughs> despite despite having done it and and being published, you're, um, yeah, you're you're published. You're an anthology. You're 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 you're, yeah, you're the real deal. And that's still pretty astounding to me. I I have a big block when it comes to to page poetry and that sort of literary space. Um, I was really fortunate when Micheline Mailer reached out um, for that anthology. She knew she knew that that was somewhere where I was, that I had a really hard time putting words to paper. Um, again, there's a permanence there that if I have a bad performance and fuck up a poem while I'm reading it out loud, that's that poem, that's that night, it's gone, it's done. But uh, you write something in a book and it lives there. I mean, arguably the, my family is mostly the people that read it now, but like it sits there forever. Um, and then you look back on it, it's like, what if it was shitty? Now it's just shitty and permanent. So <laughs> that, uh, that anthology, by the way, uh, is uh, Drifting Like a Metaphor. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, a number of um, up and coming, but unpublished Correct. poets from Calgary. Yeah. That's, the, that's the premise of it. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Everyone should go get it. Yeah, it's available at Shelf Life Books and the Owl's Nest. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm still really on a big adventure as far as writing page poetry goes. I... Um, I don't have any formal um, education in in a literary space at all, which was always again it's it's been a block for me as far as going in, into certain spaces and whatnot. However, there has been a definite shift in the last few years, especially as to kind of those two spaces coming together and overlapping a little bit more, um, spoken word and and page. And I think that that's really really great because I don't think they're quite as separate as people make them out to be right so, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen you perform a number of times and and a lot of your maybe all of your poetry uh is very personal uh i mean in that clip that clip that we played that was uh, about your sister and uh, you also talk uh, in your poetry about things like uh, racism and identity um there's just a lot there's a lot of very difficult subjects very personal subjects mm -hmm. um that you're exploring in your work and I'm, I'm curious how you go about choosing what you're going to write about. Is it something that's just like inside you that's bugging you that it's just a way of working through your own shit uh, that to just to just find a, an artistic way through that? Or is it more like um, you want to 
explore something and make a statement about something like uh, you're going to write something about racism. And so then you come up with a way to do that. Or is it sometimes one, sometimes the other or both? It's usually both. Um, I think for for myself, um, one of one of my big big things when writing anything, and I think it should be the case for, for anybody really writing anything, is that when you're telling a story, regardless of what it may be, whether it's poetry, any story, written, spoken, otherwise, um, it needs to be told through your own lens um, and in reference to your own lived experiences. And if it doesn't, then there's probably somebody better to be telling that story. So for myself, when I sit down um, to write something, it usually is triggered from especially for spoken word, because there is an air of, of activism um, and advocacy there. So it's usually triggered by an event or by something, or again, yeah, like a, a not guilty verdict or an all-white jury or whatever that might be. Um, and of course, I want to talk about it, but I need to find a way to do so that is my space to talk about it. So I can look into myself and look at my experiences with, with my family and my upbringing and hopefully speak that story that way because people are going to connect more to something that's personal anyway no one wants to get up there and like be screamed at in an audience about white people suck like like you know what I mean which is not the case but it's like no one's gonna listen that way but if I get up there and tell you like I'm hurting this is hurting me personally this is hurting my family because and then you get attention and then you can be like and here is the larger issues behind this um I think you stand a much better chance of of opening up a dialogue um and then people too like they can connect their own their own stories and their own personal experiences to it it's not just a an abstract concept or a news article it's it's coming from somebody that hopefully shared a part of themselves and that'll allow other people to do that as well um but yeah the big thing is is i don't try really really hard to not talk about anything in a way that is um, outside of my my sphere of influence because otherwise it's yeah probably not not my job to be telling that story how, how do you like that's how you approach writing poetry i'm curious also like just literally the the logistical process of writing do you like have a notebook that you write on do you write on a computer do you write on your phone when you're on the bus or something uh i do not take the bus congratulations <laughs> no it was it's just like it's not I, i'm an interior designer i go to people's homes i can't show up on a bus um I write in a notebook for like most of my kind of starting ideas and stuff like that. I do all of my editing and everything on a computer. Um, I'm not an excellent speller, so it's very helpful for me to have something that helps me along. Because even if like I know it's not right, like and it shouldn't matter because it's my own personal journal, my own like imposter syndrome pops up in my head and is like, you know, you like that's not how you spell it. Why are you even writing? Put that away. So like on the computer, I can sit and type it out and it fixes it. And I'm like, good job. Like <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> Um, but I do like the idea of having a tangible, a tangible notebook to write in and get those ideas out as well. I think that that is definitely a big part of, of my process is having something physical. Um, I'm still read books. Like I don't own a Kindle or any of that. Do people still have Kindles? Is that a thing people still have? I have or do they just do it on like their eye? I think people do read stuff on their, on their phone. Yeah. I, I hate that. Um, I do have a Kobo. I don't use it yeah. very often. But. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said about having like something physical. Um, I also have this fear too that like one day when like robots take over and everything is only existing on like an internet platform or a cloud or whatever that like it's all just going to be lost and I'll just have like my little notebooks and like 
buy one copy of The Alchemist and be like, okay, like tromping out into the desert. Or it could be hacked and they'll like just change every copy of uh, oh. something and it'll just it'll be lost yeah. in a so, different way. So again, I, it's funny because my, my work itself exists in a very impermanent place a lot of the time, but I still have kind of the roots of it are, are still living somewhere that is, is firmly planted for sure. So, Is it hard to write about personal subjects um not write about i guess because if you're writing something that's for you and then you can publish it and then it's it's more of a detached um relationship with your audience right if you if you write something on paper and publish it in a book or something and someone reads that you're not like sitting in front of them when they're reading it mm -hmm. but when you're performing spoken word about these very um personal subjects uh is that difficult is it cathartic um I mean, like everything you do seems to be just very personal. You did a, you did a poem on uh, a couple nights ago that started about finding a burrito on the front seat of your car, and yeah. it was really funny, and everyone laughed, and then there was a twist, and it was a very deeply personal poem. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> about eating expired food, um, but also about depression. Um, what was the question? <laughs> I got distracted by burritos. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, the question was, uh, is it hard to, uh, is it hard or cathartic or, or what, what's the feeling when you're, when you're performing personal poetry like that in front of people? Um, you know what, my performing in front of strangers isn't that difficult. Um, everybody, I talk about some pretty universal stuff like the burrito, for instance, I think everybody's had a moment in their life where like they know that like they shouldn't be doing something like eating expired food, but it's just like, that's all they can do in that moment because it's like you either are late or tired or don't have the spoons to be able to like be a functioning human. And we all have these secret moments that we keep where like we, we fuck shit up and we're like, we're not going to tell anybody like no one will know. Um, so sharing those moments with relative strangers isn't, isn't too hard because I, I know they're going to be able to connect with it and I don't know them. Um, my biggest fear is that like, <laughs> or because it has happened is when my family is in the audience or people that I am, families, partners, um, et cetera, people where they're, they're going to see, actually see themselves in that work or actually see, see me for as a person versus just the poet. And I guess that's, that's part of it too, is when you're performing for an audience, you very much are, you're there for them almost, um, is how I feel about it. At least I feel like I'm, I'm there to tell them a story. Um, as far as the catharsis for myself goes, I try really hard to already be through that before I perform work. Uh, there's a responsibility to not, for myself again, um, to not go up onto a stage and, and kind of burn it down. Um, it's a vulnerable space, a lot of these events, and I don't want to get up there and perform work that is going to, first of all, hurt me, or that is also going to be presented in a way that is going to leave my audience worse off than when they sat down. Um, it's irresponsible. So we talk about it. Like I try my best to do trigger warnings if the space allows for it. Um, if I've got work and I have had it happen where I've gone up and performed and not been able to make it through or perform in a way that is angry um, or aggressive, I, I usually take a step back after that and relook at the, relook at the work because it means that I'm not in a space that I should be sharing it with people yet. Hmm. Yeah. But yes, it is both hard and cathartic in short. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I'd totally defend eating burritos you find in your car. That's yeah. waste not, want not. I've eaten a lot of expired food, but like 
it's not my fault. One time I got a Lunchable from the gas station and I like ate it and I was on the last part of the Lunchable. I'm 32. Um, <laughs> and, but regardless, last part of the Lunchable and I look, look at the side of the container and it expired like three weeks ago. But like I already ate the whole thing. So what are you supposed to do? You just finish it and just hope that like it's okay. That that's information you really didn't need to have at that point, right? Yeah, it's no, just like, it was just too happy late. Or not yeah, hap- Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to lunchables. So anyway, watch out for expiry dates. <laughs> so I like spoken word. I like slam. I like poetry. I am not terribly knowledgeable about any of those things, but I enjoy them as an art form. Um, but I think there's probably a lot of people, probably the maybe even the majority of people, um, I think are often intimidated by poetry mm-hmm. that it's sort of like the uh, your experience in high school English class being exposed to poetry and you're like I don't understand this I, I appreciate that it's art I appreciate it has value but I don't get it it makes me feel dumb I feel like that's how yeah. a lot of people approach poetry like when it just like casually enters their lives and so I'm curious how you think poetry fits in to this our modern era of like ultimate media consumption like everyone's just consuming all this media all the time what what where does poetry fit in there um i think first of all um with all of that consumption um and having access to so much information and then having kind of instant gratification and always being around stimulus and then having the ability to always contact people um in the long run has actually made us really lonely. And I think that poetry, especially if you are going to an event, and again, I can speak more to, more to spoken word on this actually than, than otherwise. Um, there's a, an opportunity to actually engage um, in a very tactile space. Again, you've got auditory, you've got people in front of you performing, you've got your audience around you really absorbing it and that's just that their interpretation of it's not going to be the same as yours so you have an opportunity to discuss that if if you're so inclined um, I also think a lot of the spoken word community as of recently has gotten in Calgary alone um, has gotten a lot more diverse so it's a really great platform to hear stories and to hear art that artists that you probably wouldn't normally hear or, or interact with um so it's like a look into a into a world that a lot of like you said a lot of people maybe wouldn't get the opportunity to but i think it's important um because it's just like microchasm of like a much larger community i mean it's it's when we talk about maybe where poetry is going i think it is in those spaces it's on street corners it's in tunnels it's in um, I spoke at a women in chefs conference, which is ridiculous because like I had expired food and don't know how to cook. <laughs> and uh, they commissioned, asked me to ask me to write some work sort of about about their experiences and sat down and had conversations with all of these like top executive chefs in their industry, and got up and spoke those words in front of them and had them come up to me and tell me how important that was. Um, so I think spoken word and poetry is still incredibly relevant but i do think that we have to take it out of some of the more traditional spaces that it's currently living in i don't think poetry can stay in academia i don't think it can stay in institutions i don't think it can stay in even bookstores really um we have to take it to the to the people versus expecting people to kind of come to us to hear it talk a little bit more about the uh, the calgary scene what uh What's it like? You talked about it's gotten more diverse 
I mean, we still have such a long way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. But just even in the last few few years, first of all, the spoken word community, we have events now running. Like you could you could probably go to something weekly, if not more than once a week, and catch some really incredible spoken word. Um, a lot of those events are run by uh, marginalized groups, women of color, and creating spaces for that, which I think is really important. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And um, it used to be we had to fight to get a venue to book us for a Monday night, which is why so many of the events are on Monday nights, because they were empty anyway. And now we've got venues booking like Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays for poetry, um, which is really, really great. And I think a lot of that is because the community has gotten more diverse as far as the voices that are being heard. So there are more people coming out, right? Like you want to see yourself represented in a space. So if that's not happening, you're not going to be going to poetry events. But if you see yourself being represented in those spaces, um, you're going to come and you're going to bring your friends and you're going to bring, and they're going to bring their friends. And then who knows, you'll get up and do a poem and it'll just kind of keep growing from there. But again, if you're going to an event and not seeing anybody that looks like you or sounds like you or has any of the same experiences that you've had, the chances of you wanting to go back to that or feel even comfortable going back to that are going to be far less. So I think that that diversity that we're seeing, like I said, there's still so much work to do, but it's definitely, um, I think we're headed in the right direction for sure. Uh, Expressions is a a regular open mic uh, spoken word event. At Cafe Koi. That is true. Uh, you co-host it now, but uh, I, I read somewhere that you, another interview you gave, you said that that was one of the first uh, public performances that you ever did. Yeah. Was that Expressions? Talk about that a little bit in your relationship with, the, with that show. Um, I started off uh, probably around the same time that I went to um, go watch some performances at the Calgary Spoken Word Festival when I first started, like I had mentioned previously. Um I'm sure it was plugged at the end of the event because that is what we love to do is just make sure that everybody plugs their shit. Um, Expressions Open Mic was was plugged at Cafe Koi. A friend of mine, well, now now a dear friend of mine at the time, an acquaintance of mine was running it. Um, and it was just a really safe space right off of the bat. Koi itself um, created a really wonderful spot for artists to speak. Um, and it was just a little bit quieter. Uh, the slams and stuff are really wonderful, but there's a whole different energy there than there is going up to an open mic. And the stage itself was very much designed to be a space for people to practice. Um, there was no set rules. Ashley Miles um, hosted it for quite a while, and then and they just needed a break, and now they've moved to Vancouver or Salt Spring Island and are doing wonderful out there. And asked if I would uh, take over, and then my lovely co- co-host, Selena Clary, as well. Uh, stepped in at that point and we've been running it together now for like three three years wow i don't know happy anniversary i think three years it's been a long time thank you Uh, and it's great it's great it's uh i don't want to say it runs itself because that diminishes well Celine actually does far more work than i do but um diminishes it it doesn't run itself but the night has become kind of a thing that people know what to expect they know it's a safe space they know they can get up and and talk about whatever they'd like again if no hate speech stuff, but like, um, and leave feeling supported by a community, which is kind of all I've ever, all I've ever wanted in a stage. And I'm really humbled to be able to provide that for, for other people as well. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic, uh, event. Um, you guys do 
great job of hosting it. But it's like, Thanks. you're right that it is a very different energy from the slam. And it's a very different part of that is just the space. Like it's a Koi is just such a small, intimate venue um, that it just sort of lends itself to a very different energy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you are Métis. That is true. Uh, I know that this, that's a big part of your identity as far as being a poet that often comes up in your work. Um, but I'm interested in what it's like being um, a Métis artist in Calgary. Um, Again, I'm really cautious when I speak about my um, Indigenous heritage. And not because it's it's something that I shy away from in any regard, but because um, I didn't grow up within my culture. Um, so I am, like I mentioned earlier, kind of uh, before we started this, I'm I'm adopted, and again I talk about that a lot in my work. Um, it was a closed adoption, so the Métis side of myself is on my biological mother's side. Um, she was also adopted, um, so it, there's a, a line of removal of culture that goes back several generations, um, or being removed from a culture for several generations. Um, in the last few years, I've definitely started to delve into that more and figure out sort of where I've come from and where my roots lie, but I don't have a ton of information, so I never want to present myself as an authority, again, on something that I'm not an authority on. With that said, though, um, in general, the Indigenous arts community in Calgary has em embraced me, which has been really lovely. Um, I've tried my best to also give back and create stages as well for more Indigenous art. There's so much fucking talent here, and I I just wish that there was there was more time or I wish I had more time or that there was more time to showcase it all um, you, li you literally hosted a, an indigenous showcase mm -hmm. at shelf life and that was one of the best events I've ever been to it was fantastic and, but not just because of the quality of work but like I go to a lot of events and like these were people I had never heard of yeah and exactly. was not aware of yeah and I think that's a big part of it too is we have a really diverse I mean we've got um, a lot of diverse work within the city here too whether it's storytelling or music poetry, visual art. I mean, there's, it's a really rich community with a lot of different, different stuff to showcase. So again, as much as I'm a poet and that is what I do, I really think that there's a huge amount of value, especially um, when we talk about Indigenous art is in collaboration and kind of keeping everybody in, in a space together to kind of grow that community collectively, I guess. Um, how do you define success as a poet? So what I mean, what I mean by that is uh, not having to eat an expired burrito. <laughs> um, like you have, you 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 you're a successful poet. I mean, you you have uh, twice been shortlisted for poet laureate of Calgary. Yeah, uh, you were the captain and coach for the Calgary team for the National Slam competition. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a day job. I want to talk about that in a second. But I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, like, what, what is, what does a successful poet look like? Is it, is it simply like just producing art that you feel good about? Is it like making some kind of a living off of it? Is it uh, being, having enough of a profile, enough uh, clout to to pass it on to other people and create stages and, and, and elevate other folks? Like what, what, what defines success for you as, as a poet? To be able to make a living would be wonderful. Um, and actually, I just want to touch on that now, whether or not that is what defines success, I don't, I don't know. Um, 
but poets have this like really funny thing where they like to to say that like oh well no one pays for poetry and oh poets don't get paid and you can't make a living as a poet and that frustrates me because no one's going to pay you unless you expect to be paid um with that said i do know it is also hard to turn down a gig for any amount whether it's a pass the hat or exposure when you're just trying to to get a foot in the door or, or make make ends meet in any capacity but um i really do think that there's merit to to asking for what you deserve and there's there's very much merit and value in spoken word um especially um there's a performance aspect to it i mean we should make sure make sure you're getting paid carfac rates go on carfac like what's carfac carfac is like your standard for like it's more visually based arts and performance based in theater but there's set rates for like what someone would get paid for half a day's work if they were teaching a workshop on, let's say, painting. And I'm like, there's zero reason why someone teaching a half day's workshop on spoken word should be making any less than that. So That's you, interesting. You I, I haven't it. heard of there's this. There's a whole calculator. You just pop it in there. And Who it's puts like, this out? Um, I think it's Canada-wide. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's the... So it's like, yeah, Carfax, C-A-A-R-F-A-C. Canadian artists. I don't. You'd have to look it up. Okay, Google it. Google it. Um, so anyway, I don't know if being paid a living wage for anything makes you a success at it, honestly. But it would be nice to get money for things. As far as myself, I think there are days where I do not know what success looks like. Um, there are times where I have trouble seeing myself in any any light that would would have success around it um i mean my art i made for myself for sure i i want to leave behind something that is remembered but it's more important to me i guess how how i'm remembered by the people that have had the experience and have taken in my work and what they do with it so i guess like that that legacy in a way would be would be success for me so do you feel successful some days most most days most days i should say does it depend on uh, burritos depends on burritos yeah <laughs> honestly though no it does it depends on a lot of stuff we have this kind of mentality that like artists are supposed to like suffer to create this great work and i get it especially poets i get it um but i think it's kind of bullshit you wouldn't like your doctor wouldn't be having like a bad mental health day and you'd be like oh no it's okay like You'll do your best work when you're depressed. And then, like, and he goes to surgery. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, go see a doctor, like, get help. Um, so when we talk about success, there are days where, like, I, I think that, like, I look at it, uh, like, I'll read my CV, and I'm like, yeah, like, look at all this shit I've done. Um, and I do absolutely feel successful. But then there are days where, despite of all of that, um, you're in overdraft, and you're tired, and... You see somebody else put up a post about like they were like fourth book coming out and they are like children and it's beautiful but it's like fuck and then you flip a table over or do whatever um so success <laughs> is funny because it's like yes it's always there i i don't ever want to diminish the work i worked really hard for for what i've where i've gotten um but yeah some days it's just harder to see than others i guess how did you become an interior decorator uh Oh, it runs on the family. Oh. Um, yeah, absolutely. My aunt owns a store here in town, um, and I started working there kind of on and off when I was younger, and then I went to Mount Royal, then college right out of high school, 
did a residential design course, and now I decorate people's homes. <laughs> you, how long have you been doing that? Um, 13 years. Wow. Yeah, I was like, fuck, <laughs> don't say that out loud. Yeah, 13 years. I started when I was, yeah, when I was 19 and I'm 32. So on and off. I took a break, served, I used to work at the Calgary Petroleum Club. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, which was just such a fucking trip. Like I, <laughs> I valued it. Um, absolutely. I think it was a really interesting job. I met really great people. We had to use like a side door to like go into the establishment and stuff though. So it was like super bizarre and like. Were you like, were you a server? Yeah. And they wouldn't let like women in until like the mid eighties. And the only point that they changed that is because our, our finance minister was in fact a woman at that point <laughs> and had to go and speak at the club. And she was like. Uh, absolutely not. Okay. Um, so it's like it was a time machine uh, to go into a place like that. And I had to wear these like weird black pajamas. Um, I was really bad at it. Um, serving is really, really difficult to shout out to like anybody who does that for a career. I can't even imagine. I spilled wine on businessmen and it was a really short-lived uh, experience for me. And then I went back to interior design after that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, this is easier. I'll do this. So... Um, so, I mean, you've been an interior decorator for 13 years. Is it something that's um, just a job? You're, you're, you're good at it. It's fine. It pays the bills. Or is it something that like you are passionate about and you really enjoy? I, or does I, it depend on the day? It depends on the day. Um, <laughs> it depends on the day for sure. Um, especially because like I do like retail-based design. So I work for a, like, a furniture store that offers design services. So there's still the sales aspect to it, which is stressful um anytime any I don't know how commission should be illegal but it's not um so it's stressful in that regard the actual work I really love um it's really wonderful to help people create a space that they love and I always kind of take for granted that that's not a skill set that everybody everybody has so to have somebody come in and have just moved into a space and and not love it and not know what they're going to do with it and at the end of working with them have them and their family have somewhere to live that they're really like stoked on is great um and i'm fortunate to have found a a a job that still offers some some degree of creative aspect to it for my for my day-to-day day-to-day work with that said if there was an opportunity to do poetry and spoken word full-time absolutely would be would be doing that as well though so yeah is interior decorating for you uh like a different form of artistic expression yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is there any relation between it and your your poetry? None. No. Okay. There always there has to be for sure. Um, yeah, I think the the bottom line there is just the this it's like it's communication, right? Like when you're decorating somebody's home, I think you just have to listen to them, and they'll tell you kind of what they need and how they feel. And if you get to know them as a person, by the end of it, it's not difficult to make a house for them. And then, like, with poetry, it's sort of the same thing. I think, like, if you just, like, listen and get up there and engage honestly, at the end of the day, you also have a finished product that people can... It's a finished product, I guess, either way, at the end of the day, that people can connect with if you're doing it honestly, I guess. What, what do you see your future as, as a poet? I mean, like, is it, mm-hmm. um, I guess, different artistic fields have different... Uh, forms of aspiration, things yeah. you can you can aspire to, um, different levels of achievement. I, I, what, what is that for 
poetry like what do you i mean you you've had two shots at um poet laureate and yeah. so that's probably something you'll strive yeah. for again but like is there anything else that you like things that you want to do or in in that field in that craft yes but i i don't really look too too far ahead with it um partially because i i don't know what that looks like so for me um in the cartoons where like a creature runs off of a cliff and their legs are just spinning it's yes. kind of like that. Like, so I'm just like, I've ran off this cliff and my legs are spinning. And I know that if I stop to look down, that's when we're going to fall. So for me, I'm in this sort of, and I don't necessarily recommend this as like a, a way to like pursue any artistic practice, but it seems to be kind of working for me at this point. So. Who's, who's the uh, roadrunner in that metaphor? Um, wait, which one falls off the cliff? The roadrunner? I think it's always the Wiley coyote. coyote. Yeah. Probably also myself. Society. Some sort of like society or something like really meta, like all of the decisions I've ever made are chasing me. But um, yeah, so I don't know what the what for myself. Like I'd love to go f- for Laureate again. Um, I'd like to do more publishing with like, again, written word. And then my work itself from a poetic standpoint has kind of really gone in a um, more performance sort of a space lately. So I would like the opportunity, I think, to maybe take that work out of just poetry festivals and whatnot and maybe work it into more performance in theater and whatnot and try and, and again, just keep branching out. I wanted to ask about um, something that happened uh, a couple nights ago at the, at the slam Mm -hmm. uh, event on Monday. Uh, You were the featured poet. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that what the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Feature for sure. So like you weren't, you weren't part of the slam and you weren't part of the open mic. You were, you came up and did a set basically. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the event, um, a young woman came up to you. Oh. <laughs> and she was she was very shy and like hesitant about approaching you at all. Um, but she came up and, and told you. Well, you what what did she tell you? Well, she just like uh, it was really really interesting because I'm I don't think of myself as unapproachable anyway. Neither here nor there. Um, came over and just was like kind of a clamped. And I was like, hey, like, what's going on? And she's just like continued or proceeded to tell me just how much my work had sort of affected her life and influenced her and and thanking me for that. And she's like, and I have two copies of your book. I'm like, yo, my mom like doesn't even have a copy. I don't think <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, and just how it's influenced her. And um, and she was crying. It was really, really beautiful. And I. Like I mentioned, I actually for like half a second was like, do you like have me mixed up with somebody else? Like, I don't know how many Cobras there are out there doing spoken word. Uh, If there's another one, I'll battle them. Like physically, not with my words. (laughs) Right. And uh, but yeah, it was in fact me. And I ended up giving her a T-shirt and then she proceeded to cry so much more. And then I hugged her. And to be clear, I asked because I do think it's very important to ask people if they are okay to be hugged. Um, Consent is key. But uh, it was pretty profound. And again, when we talk about uh, what what measures success, at that moment, I felt successful for sure. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't just that like you you performed a piece that like really resonated with her. Like you were like some kind of a hero to her. Like mm-hmm. she was just that she was so hesitant to approach the Cobra Collins. Yeah. Um, and I'm wonder, I'm curious about first of all how often you get a response of that intensity and also how how does something like that 
make you understand what you do? How does that change your perception of, mm-hmm. of your work to have that strong reaction to someone uh, from someone responding to your deeply felt, deeply personal um, poetry? Mm-hmm. Um, it happens that uh, never to that degree. Uh, of, I don't have people very often who don't want to approach me. Um, I had a moment last year after um, I had I'd opened up for the Kent Mugman exhibit at the Glenbow. And uh, a couple days later, I was sitting in a Wendy's eating a Baconator, um, as one does. does. (laughs) And a woman came up and interrupted me and uh, pardoned me. And I was like, well, fuck. Because, like, being interrupted in a Wendy's, generally speaking, is, like, not something that you, like, I'm like, what? Can't you see I'm trying to eat this Baconator? I'm trying to eat this Baconator. Like, have priorities. And uh, anyway, she also, again, opened up and she asked, she's like, sorry, but were you, um, are you Cobra Collins? And I'm like, yeah. Like, putting away my burger. And, uh. She mentioned that she had seen me speak at that event and, again, mentioned how how important it was um, she had her daughter with her um, for her and her daughter to see themselves represented on stage because they were also both um, Métis women. And and then I proceeded to, like, cry and eat the rest of my Baconator. So it was, like, this happy, sad, soggy bacon sandwich. But, like, those moments are, yeah, pretty, pretty profound. Um, it is interesting sometimes to have people feel like they have a connection with you um, in such a way when they don't know you. Typically it's positive. Um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes people get overpersonal. Um, they feel like they have access to your life in a way that is not accurate because you've chosen to share really personal things. So at that point it's like, well, no, like you, we know each other. And it's like, no, we don't. Like this is the part of me that I've consented to show you in this space um so that's always something that i kind of i'm i'm careful of um because i've had interactions in the past with people that yeah were overly personal in a manner that made me uncomfortable uh, because they felt that like they knew me um but overwhelmingly the responses are really positive and i i don't often know what it is in my work that connects people like I don't, I don't often ask like, oh, like what is it about that poem that really spoke to you? Because it's like it doesn't matter. Um, mm. At the end of the day, I'm just glad that it did. But I do often find it interesting um, how how much of my personal story is also other people's personal story, and I think that that's a testament to sort of why I do what I do. Because like again, I mentioned earlier, we're all like so fucking lonely, and if for like a moment I can get up there and tell my personal story about what I'm going through and have somebody else see themselves in that and feel less alone. It's like, there's a responsibility for me, I think to keep, to keep doing it for sure. Mm. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you uh, for doing this. Thank you for having me. That's it for the show. Big thanks to Cobra Collins, who is awesome. Uh, you can find her on social media at King of the Snakes and also at uh, Expressions at Cafe Koi and the monthly Calgary Poetry Slam. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by telling your friends, by leaving a review in your podcast app, and by contributing a buck or two a month on Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca and find me on Twitter at TS underscore Lambert. Thanks for listening.